Let's turn to our passage for today, which comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 16. And as John Chow was praying, he made a beautiful point that uh, even though we make Christmas such a big deal, what is even greater than his coming, which is a great thing, but even greater than that was the fact that he won salvation for us. But in the past couple of verses, what we've been reading is something even greater than that, that not only has he won salvation for us, but he has adopted us into his family, he being God. God has adopted us into his family. Uh, I remember when Yez was doing his medical school interviews and we went to Buffalo together and we went to the Anchor Bar and that's like the home of the Buffalo Wing, right? And this is like the original place, right? And you eat the Buffalo Wing and you're like, hmm, <laughs> right? Because it's like, it's the original, right? So they have to stick to the original recipe. The original recipe is just like very, it's a lot of butter and like not much else, not a lot of flavor, but it's like, that's the original recipe, right? Every other buffalo wing since that moment has been built off of this bucket of butter and cayenne sauce, right? Now, not to say that it was bad, and of course, this is a terrible analogy because we know justification is not bland, it's not tasteless, it's one of the most beautiful doctrines in all of history. And yet, something that builds on top of that Right? Because that's, that's the fundamental thing. That's the primary thing. Right? What, is, what is our most important, pressing, primary need? It's a need for a Savior. Okay? And Jesus has answered that call, answered that need through his death on the cross and justified us by his grace. But building upon that, something greater, tastier, and definitely not Thai curry, is the fact that we have been called sons of and daughters of the Most High, that we are adopted into his family. And so uh, we're going to kind of continue on with that in that theme. Um, and not only is, is that the truth, is that the fact, but God himself is constantly reminding us of that truth, that you're not just some adherent to my religion, you are my child. Right? And so we're going we're gonna to dive into this beautiful truth. So if we could all rise up together at the reading of God's word, which comes from Romans 8.16, just one short verse that carries so much beautiful implication. And if you could read it all together, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray and let's do this. Father God, thank you so much that indeed we are your children. But what does this mean for us? And how does this really truly affect the relationship that we have with you? How does this affect the relationship we have with one another? How does this affect the way we view our faith? God, these are questions that upon coming to saving faith in Christ, we will be asking for the rest of our lives as we continue to reform our spirits and our lives and our lifestyles according to your word and to your spirit. And so, Father God, would today and our reflection on this uh, scripture, would today be another step in that journey, that, Lord, we consider what it means that the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Holy Spirit, would you come now and bear witness even in this place, even at this moment, and would you sit among us and help us to understand and plumb the depths of scripture, even in these short few words. Uh, we love you and we trust you, and if we don't love you or trust you at this moment, 
would we be reminded that it's okay because we are not saved uh, because we were so good at loving and we were so good at trusting. We are saved because of the love of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so the Spirit himself, remember it's himself, right? The Spirit is not, the Holy Spirit is not some kind of force. It's not some kind of heebie-jeebie magic. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And so the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When we think about bearing witness, you ever tell a story? Maybe not you, me. Oftentimes you'll hear me tell a story, and the story will kind of go nowhere, right? Because I'm really good at telling really bad stories and stories that kind of go nowhere because I'm really into the stories where you had to be there, you know? It's like, you're not going to get it. It's not going to be funny. It's not going to be interesting. It's not going to be surprising unless you were there with me, right? Kind of like the buffalo wings at Anchor Bar, okay? None of you care, right? You have to be there, right? So, and so it's like, yeah, I need a witness. And maybe you've encountered some of those moments where you want to share something with this group of people, but since they weren't there with you, since they weren't witnesses to what had happened, uh, you can't share in the joy or the fear or the terror or the whatever it may be. And so the Spirit is there with us in that sense, right? The Holy Spirit bears witness with us in that through all the trials and journeys of life, he is there with us. And he is witnessing the things as it's happening, and he's empathizing with us because he's there with us, right? Um, from the very end of the age, Jesus says, I will be with you. And how is he with us? By sending his Holy Spirit to us. And so we, there is also that sort of like legal connotation with bearing witness, right? That's probably the first thing we think about when we think about witnesses, calling a witness to a stand. And we think about when uh, in, a, in a trial case, there, there's the defense and there's the prosecution and each side has to build a case. And one method by which they build a case against this charged person is by calling witnesses. And the thing is, when it comes to us, we are also sort of on trial, right? And we are standing before a great, mighty, and holy judge, God. And on the prosecution is the devil. And the devil has a really, really good case against us. Just lay out, just lay out the past week of your life, and he'll say, here. <laughs> That's, need I say more, right? That's just last week. What about previous month? What about the relationships that you've had, maybe that you shouldn't have had, the things that you've done, the places you've gone, the things that you've desired for, the things that you've acquired, right? He's got a sh sh case closed, right? But we read here that the Spirit himself bears witness the defense, it's got a really uphill climb, but the defense has the star witness, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's testimony before the judge is this, that this person is a child of God. The devil says, oh, but what about this? And what about that? And what about this slip up? And what about this failure? And what about, he's a child of God can't touch this, right? 
the crux of the testimony of the Holy Spirit as it bears witness not only before God the judge and not only before the enemy the devil, but also to us as it bears witness with our spirit is this, that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit acts as our advocate. You maybe, you maybe notice that box of books, Gentle and Lowly, that I've tried, been trying to hand out like candy, right? A major chapter in that book speaks about the Holy Spirit as an advocate, not simply someone who speaks on our behalf, but um, this advocate, the Holy Spirit, as it bears witness on our behalf before the Father, the great judge, what he does is that even though we have this you know, open and shut case that we are sinners deserving of condemnation and wrath, the Holy Spirit, because he is our advocate, because he bears witness with us and for us, he points the wrath of God, not towards us, but he points it to the Lamb of God. He points it to the Lamb who was slain, Jesus, the Son of God. And all of our iniquities and all of our sins, all of our mess-ups, all of our failures, that case is transferred to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so not only does it bear witness before the Father, it bears witness with our spirit. Why does it bear witness with our spirit? Or another way to say it is to our spirit. Why does it do that? Why does it need to do that? Right? We get, you can kind of understand why it needs to bear witness to God because the Holy Spirit needs to say to God, hey God, what Jesus did, that means it cleared this person from all of their wrongdoing. Right? Because Jesus has paid it all. Justice has been delivered, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But the Spirit also needs to bear witness to ourselves because we forget. We forget. We are so prone to forget about the love of God. We are so prone to forget that the price has been paid. We are so prone to forget that we will not work or be good and good our way into heaven and into the loving grace of God. We are so prone to forget that Jesus has paid it all, and all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he has washed it white as snow. We forget that all the time. And so one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, and I don't know what your background with the theology of the Holy Spirit is, but one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to remind you of this truth, that you are a child of God. And nothing, as we will read later in Romans 8, nothing in this world or the next, in earth or in heaven, will ever, ever make that not a reality. Nothing will ever take that truth away from you, that you are loved by God, that you are a child of God. And so, it's... Um, it's bearing witness to us about the fact and the truth of our being children of God. But how does it do that? And to what does the Spirit bear witness? Well, we're, we're going to look at three things 
three ways in which the Spirit reminds us that we are children of God. Right? Three ways in which the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. The first, it reminds us of the weight and depravity of our, oh wait, no, yeah. <laughs> it reminds us of the weight of our depravity and sin. The Holy Spirit reminds us of our adoption as children of God by reminding us of the weight of our depravity and sin. Secondly, it reminds us of our adoption by giving us a full assurance of justice. It reminds us of our adoption through the full assurance of justice. And finally, it reminds us of our adoption through the freedom of sonship. Right? The freedom of sonship. So, the Spirit reminds us of the weight and the gravity, the heaviness of our depravity and our sin. As we read earlier in Romans 8, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. All those who set their minds on the Spirit are children of God. And yet, at one time, we were not led by the Spirit. At one time, we were led by the flesh, which means at one time, we were not children of God. And at one time, that means we were destined for wrath. We were destined for condemnation. Not only were we condemned, but we loved it. We didn't care. We longed for the things and the people and the places that grieve the heart of God because we didn't care about God. Why should we, right? And that is the heart of the unregenerate spirit, the one who has not put their faith in Christ. What, what need do they have of Christ? What need do they have of God? And so they suppress the truth of their condemnation, and they chase after the things, people, and places that they think will satisfy them. They try to fill, you know, some people say the God-shaped hole in their heart, right? And the scriptures tell us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. And that was really bad news for us because there is no unrighteous, not even one. If the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, that means the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against me. And there is no hope for sinners before a holy God. But God did not leave us alone in our sin, even though he had every right to do so. Even though there was no hope, God himself became our hope. In the Old Testament, we read about all of these sacrifices, these rituals that God has given to his people as a gift. We might read them, you know, we might go through Leviticus, you know, Bible reading plans are coming up, right? You know what I'm talking about? You get to Leviticus, you get to Numbers, and you read these like lists of festivals and sacrifices and so much blood, and you're like, ugh, this is so much work. But in fact, these things were gifts to God's people, saying, hey, I'm offering you a way out. And a lot of animals had to die. And a lot of blood had to be shed for the purification of his people. And yet, this in itself was a gift of grace. But then one day, in a town called Bethlehem, a baby was born. And this baby would one day grow up to take a wooden cross to a hill, and he would be nailed to that cross. 
And this boy, Jesus, the Son of God, he had paid the ransom required for our sin. Our debt is paid, and our debt is paid in full. Not only that, but remember, we are not simply justified. We are not simply saved. God doesn't say, all right, I've paid what I owe. Now don't ever talk to me again. <laughs> he says, I've paid, what, I've paid what you owe. Now come here as my son. Come to me as my daughter. Our debt is paid in full, and we are also made children of God and so when we think about our sin, we think about the weight of our sin, it's made heavier because our justification required the most heinous sin to be inflicted upon God himself, the murder and the torture of the Son of God. The weight of our sin is heavier because of the simple fact that it required the death of God. And so when we think about the cross, when we think about our sin, we are filled with great joy. And the angels came on Christmas, you know, when Jesus Christ was born, a good news of great joy for all the people. Why? Because now we can be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. But even as we think about the cost of our, when we think about our salvation, we must think about the cost of that salvation, which was the death of Christ. In our great joy, we must also reconcile with a great sorrow. <clears throat> and indeed, I think true Christian joy cannot exist without true Christian sorrow. And I don't think true Christian sorrow can exist without true Christian joy. And this is the mystery that will take us to the end of our days, right? Sorrow without joy leads to despair. Joy without sorrow leads to frivolity. I made that word up just now. Uh, it, leads, it leads to purposeless happiness. But a great joy married to a great sorrow is the mark of a Christian. And so when we forget our adoption, the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit, to what it cost to win us from the clutches of sin and death. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the weight and the cost of our sin. But it also reminds us of the full assurance of justice and ju justice that has been paid for us. Though we must not forget the cost of our sin that required the cross, we must equally not forget the victory over sin. Damn, there's like three people going on. All right. <laughs> the victory over sin that Jesus won at his resurrection. Remember, Jesus didn't simply die. He rose from that death. If Christ had remained dead, though the price of our sin would have been paid, there would be no assurance that we are right before God, right? How do we know that? How can we guarantee that our salvation has been fully accounted for? The empty tomb is the receipt of our redemption because we're not only dead to our sins, we are made alive in Christ. We're not simply killing sin. We're not simply trying to be a good person, but we are made alive in Christ, and alive in the grace that he has won for us. Do you ever doubt that you are saved? Like, do you ever doubt 
that Christ has completed a saving work for you and in you? And some of you might be feeling guilty about this question. Maybe you doubt your own salvation. Maybe you doubt that, are you really a Christian? I want to give you an, I want to give you a, an encouragement because if you are a human being, and if you are someone who is on this journey of sanctification and faith, you are most obviously going to doubt your salvation, at least at some point in your life. It's going to come. Of course, that's going to come. Because again, we're really forgetful. We're really forgetful about, the, about what Christ has done for us. And we always want to revert back because of the remnant of sin that remains in us. We always want to go back to our old ways and think, oh, maybe I just need to work a little harder. I just need to pray a little harder. I just need to read the Bible a little more. I just need to be more Christian-like, and then I will be accepted by God. When in fact, the Holy Spirit bears witness with us that Jesus Christ has paid it all, and justice has been paid on your behalf. The Holy Spirit says before God, not only has Christ paid the debt for this person, God, if you inflict any more wrath on this person, that in and of itself is unjust because Christ has paid it completely. And so if you're going to punish this person, if you're going to inflict your wrath upon your child, when, things have already, when his and her sin have already been paid for, that's injustice. And so the Holy Spirit reminds us the fullness of justice has been applied to us through Christ. And not only that, the Holy Spirit spurs us on to another means and sign of grace that gives us an assurance of his saving grace, which is good works. Now, all this time I've been saying you are saved by faith alone, not by your works, right? And yet, uh, we, yes, we are saved through faith alone, but our faith, as Tim Keller likes to say, but we are not saved by a faith that is alone. If you have put your faith in Christ, one of the means of grace, one of the signs that God has given to you is a desire to live unto him, is a desire to please him in the things that you do, in the words that you say, in the thoughts that you think. And so when we say, uh, when we say that we are saved by faith, our faith is not alone but our faith is accompanied by good works. It's accompanied by a desire for holiness and godliness. And this doesn't come all at once. And these Christian activities and Christian doings and this working does not come all at once. These things are also a journey. It requires practice, right? That's why we're always spurring each other on. Hey, have you read your Bible today? Hey, let's do a reading plan together. Hey, let's pray some more. John Chow, Friday night prayer. FNA is on Friday. Come, right? This is, why we, this is why we exist as a church, because we have to constantly remind one another. The Spirit is using each and every one of us to also spur each other on to good works, to remind each other, hey, you're a child of God. And so let's, let's delight in that. Let's rejoice in that fact. When we forget our adoption, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us that the price of justice has been accounted for. And not only that, but it spurs us on to good works. And finally, the Holy Spirit reminds us that the freedom that we have as sons and daughters of the Most High, as the praise team comes up, this can be really quick. We have freedom in our sonship, 
We have freedom in our adoption. What is that freedom? Well, we have one, we have freedom from inadequacy. When we're feeling like we're not enough, when we're feeling like I don't have a big enough faith, or even when you're in your school environment or work environment or your friends, you're just like, oh, I just don't measure up. The Holy Spirit reminds you of two things. One, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you don't. You are, you are small, and you, can't, you cannot meet the expectations that are placed on you. And yet, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient, and my power is sufficient for you. And so in the, in the midst of your inadequacy, Christ becomes your inadequacy. And the robes that Christ wears is placed upon your shoulders. The crown that is on Jesus' head, through, his adopt, through your adoption, the crown that's on Jesus' head is placed on your head. So though you may be small, your Savior is big. We have freedom from inadequacy. We have freedom in the riches of God's glory. Remember the story of the prodigal son and the second son. Now, the older son, he says, hey, I want to party with a goat. And the father says to him, son, all that I have is yours. And we come to God. And yes, we should come to God in prayers of need. But let us also be reminded through the Holy Spirit that all that God has, all the joy, all the wonder, all the peace is yours for the taking because he is your father and you are his child. And finally, we have freedom to live without fear. Again, the wrath of God is the thing we most have to fear in all the world. And yet, the wrath of God has escaped us because Jesus has paid it all. How many times do I got to say it? Because we are adopted as his own. Do not forget the freedom of your sonship. Do not forget that though the cost of your sin was heavy, Jesus has paid it, and he has paid it gladly. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, as you, as you continue to pour out your Holy Spirit over us, Holy Spirit, would you meet us and remind us constantly, because we are always forgetting that indeed we are your children, that we are your children not by accident, but because you have paid a great cost. We are your children because you have paid, and you have paid the cost, and justice has been fulfilled in you. Because of that, we can call you Abba Father. Because of that, we have a great freedom to live in you, to live unto you, and to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat>